And good evening and welcome back once again, folks, to our Friday Night with Friends. Thank you, Newark family, for joining us tonight. We are so excited to have you here with us tonight. And as you can see from the screen that's being shared right now, we have Pastor Meg on with us tonight. And she has brought on a guest. And so you two can go ahead and come off of mute. And without further ado, I'm going to step into the background and I'm going to allow Meg to introduce her friend and take it away, Meg. Awesome. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, hi to Vanessa. It's nice to see you. We live far away from each other now, so this is how we see each other anymore. But yes, tonight, as you said, we have Vanessa Desa on with us and she is a friend, but before I get to that part, um, I want to introduce her and just let you tell you a little bit about her um, on paper here. Uh, if you think she sounds amazing on paper, which she does, you should meet her in person. So Vanessa uh, has a bachelor's in humanities from Karachi University in Karachi, Pakistan. And she also has a bachelor's in biblical studies from Gateway College of Evangelism, uh, which is in Florissant, Missouri. She also has a Master's of Divinity from Urshan Graduate School of Theology, and that's where our paths crossed. Um, and she has some cl clinical pastoral education, two units of training from the Association of Clinical Pastoral Education, which she started uh, just last year in 2019. Um, her ministerial work includes, uh, uh, for a long time, she held ministerial license with the United Pentecostal Church uh, in Pakistan. And during this time, uh, along with her family, she founded the Living Stones, which is an organization that catered to the spiritual development of the underprivileged children and young people in her hometown, the city of Karachi. She currently holds ministerial license today uh, with the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ and another uh, apostolic oneness organization. In fact, my family was affiliated with that uh, when I was growing up. Since 2004, she has served as a minister at Spirit and Truth Church located in Hazelwood, Missouri, working under the uh, pastor Mark Barnaby. Her work uh, from 2014 and onwards, she has worked as the Director of Distance Learning at Urshan Graduate School of Theology and Urshan College, uh, overseeing the distance learning program, a great feat. And many of our uh, UGST distance learners are friends and love Vanessa. She is amazing in that role and service um, to the school. And since 2019 and onward, she also serves as the triage chaplain at SSM Health. Um, and currently she is in uh, the St. Louis, Missouri area, more specifically, I should probably say Hazelwood or Florissant, but the specifics on that most people don't know. So it doesn't matter location wise. But Vanessa is um, a friend to me. That's how, how I know her. Um, and one of the first people and connections that I had at UGST uh, back in 2004 when I attended the school. And since then we had developed a friendship over long nights of studying in the library and spending time in coffee shops, probably drinking too much coffee because 
who sleeps when you're a student. Um, and I remember, you know, her cooking for me. She's amazing in everything she does. And I know she'll be amazing for us tonight as well. I've been looking forward to it. She's expressed how much she's been looking forward to it. And so with that, I'd love to turn it over to Vanessa. I've just asked her to share her story with us, her life. Um, and I know that, in fact, somebody recently said to me, she seems like someone that I want to know. And I said, that's exactly uh, the impression that Vanessa leaves with people. She's a gem. So enjoy her story tonight. Well, I have to unmute myself first, but <laughs> thank you, Meg. That is so humbling. I appreciate that introduction. And of course, your friendship over these years has been a rock for me during some of the hardest times in my life as a student. You probably don't know that, but yes, you have been that. And so I, I really honor your friendship even today, even though we're far apart, I call you a friend. Um, so a little bit of my story, it, you know, there are some things that we can control and some things we cannot control. And one of the things that we cannot control is where we're born and which family God places us in. And God placed me in a family with parents who were devoted and dedicated in their love to God. And they were rooted in that. They were Catholic at that time and um, their families, that means their parents before them were considered pillars of the Catholic church. Um, that's what they did. They had mass every night. They went three times a day to church. They were involved in choir, things like that. So they were people who were of strong faith, strong values, strong moral background. My dad himself, he was raised um, by the Dominican priest, I think. Um, if I'm wrong, then my sister, I'm sure she'll correct me. But I think that's the Dominican orphanage because um, he was left there by his parents when we had civil war between India and Pakistan and the British divided um, the Indian subcontinent in that 1947, 1947 divide. Um, he was left there by his mom. And so he was raised by priests. So you can imagine um, being raised by priests and then uh, with my mom uh, being raised by by a family that were considered pillars of the church. Um, the story doesn't end there because um, as time goes on, and for you to understand a little bit of my story, which is why I'm sharing a little background, um, my mom and dad, of course they got married, but my aunt, uh, she had a lot of abuse that she was facing personally in her life. And with this abuse, she started, it was marital abuse. So with that, she started crying out to God for help. And she was like, God, do you not see me? God, do you not know that I exist? I have been a good girl all my life. I have gone to church. I have tried to be good. I have done all these things. Do you not love me? Do you not see me? And so she was crying out to God one day and somebody randomly knocked the door and there was a gentleman outside. She opened the door and he said, sister, 
I want to give you a flyer. And at that time, there was no oneness church in Pakistan at all. It was just God revealing himself to different people. Uh, there were different ministers who would reveal, uh, who would get like a vision or who would get a song and they would go around traveling the nation, singing the song. There were so many things like that happening. So one of these gentlemen had a direct, this brother had a direct vision from God and he had heard about this gospel message and that's what he was doing on his own and so he knocked our door my aunt's door and he said sister i have a flyer for you you know and so she said oh i, I i'll thank you very much for coming whatever uh but um i'm a catholic and and so she was about to close the door and he was about to go and god spoke to him and he turned around and he said sister god sees you god i just feel so impressed to tell you that god sees you i don't know what you're going through but god sees you and he loves you very much she just burst out crying and opened the door and then that's how uh, he started witnessing to her. She would travel all the way um, into this very remote area where there were no streets even or street lights, but she would go. And uh, it was a little small um, in his house. You can say he had this family church system going on and people would come from the neighborhood. She would travel all the way there and she would hear about it. And so my mom was very concerned about her sister because nobody leaves the Catholic church. And she was like, where are you going? And she witnessed to my mom. My mom was seeing all these changes in her sister. And she was like, wow, what's going on? Um, uh, so she tells her about this love of God and how she feels God's spirit. And she's been praying and she really feels all like she feels loved and God is speaking to her. And so my mom, who had recently been, uh, somebody had thrown um, and she had gotten burnt through actually acid on my mom and she had gotten burnt on the entire one side of her body. So she had been facing another type of an abuse and she was looking out for the love of God in her own way. So she said, I, I, can I come with you? And so the both of them started traveling to this place there were no streets nothing but they were the brave women uh just going on over there of course my dad was like where are these girls from this house going so he has to go too so when he went he also felt the love of god so strong he felt the spirit of god so strong and what a change it was making in their lives because they accepted pentecostalism my family was ostracized uh, from the Catholic Church. Our community is generally um, Catholic in every sense, in every form. Now, of course, as years have gone by, people are more open to a moving of the spirit and Pentecostalism has even come knocking on the doors of the Catholic Church. But back in the day, it was very different. Uh, so family was ostracized, ostracized. Uh, by the general community, it, you know, family members didn't come around so much. It was very hard, but they kept with it. And somehow in that journey, uh, they heard of some missionaries who were in another city. So they reached out to these missionaries and they said, um, this is what we have heard because we would speak a lot of English. The business language in the city of Karachi is English, um, even though our mother tongue is Konkani, 
or native language is English. I mean, native language is Urdu. And then of course we were living in the province of Sindh. So provincial language is Sindhi. People tend <laughs> to speak multiple languages um, in, in uh, countries other than the US, sorry. But um, that's kind of how it was. And um, that's how the missionaries got involved and they came and my parents and, and some of the friends who had just recently gotten converted and they set up of the first convention. And um, our house was one of the largest houses um, and it had a central location. So actually it served as the first home church. And we would have about 100, 150 people sitting in our living room, having church, dancing, shouting, miracles. I can remember demon possession cases. People would say, oh, look, there's light. And they would see lights flickering from you know the walls and things like that. I've seen an angel. It wasn't unusual conventions. 5,000, 6,000, 8,000 people would receive the Holy Ghost in mass numbers. And that is something that I grew up as the norm. That's what we saw. That's what you went Vanessa, to. Vanessa, this is Desi. I, I'm interrupting just for a second. I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Did you say at times you would have 100 or more people in your home? Yes. In our living room. I just wanted to make sure I heard that correctly. You said 100 people in your living room. That is right. Wow. And my dad actually um, called us as a family together and he said, look, God is doing an amazing work. We, this is something beyond us. We're going to have to give up the furniture. So who wants to give up their beds? And so we had to say as kids, we were willing to sleep on the floor. So we all said, okay, dad, okay, mom, we're, we're okay with that. Let's give up the furniture. Every bedroom became a Sunday school class, literally. And we had a terrace. That's where, where the kids did Sunday school songs and activities because, you know, you have to sing Father Abraham and all of that. And you can't necessarily do that in small rooms. So everybody has to sing together. We all have to do that. We would even do like movie nights and watch um because uh, you know there's no this is like back in the day when there was all that came on the tv was islamic shows so um to watch jesus of nazareth was such a great attraction people would be like what they're going to play that on the projector we're coming so we would have open air nights <laughs> sometimes um and, and the people would come to watch king of kings Jesus of Nazareth, you know, that was the big thing back in the day, the Jesus movie. And so, yeah, we would see revivals, things like that. In fact, I never saw a few, a few number ever receiving the Holy Ghost. It was only when I came to the States, I was, everybody was standing up and clapping hands for the one person who received the Holy Ghost. And I was thinking, what? We're, we're actually standing up. And that's when I had the aha moment. If the angels can get up, I told myself, Vanessa, if the angels can get up and they can clap their hands, you better get up and clap your hands because all of heaven and earth has stopped. And so I learned to appreciate even the one person because all my life, and I'm not saying that, you know, poorly, but all my life, I'd, I'd always seen like 5,000 or 50 people, 25, like never one person receiving the Holy Ghost in a church service. So that was something that I did learn. But yeah, we, we would have all these type of services. And that's when I 
that's the heritage I got passed on. And so I started doing Sunday school from when I was 12. I would teach. I started teaching Bible studies when I was 14. I would teach youth. I did that a lot. And then finally, at one point, uh, some pastors came to me and they said, sister, uh, we have started all these churches in these areas. Will you come and teach our children? And I knew the need was so great because there is nothing for the girl child not in education, regular education, because most Christian families in Pakistan are so poor, if they have any money at all, they're going to send the boy to school. So the girls are considered, okay, if you're a girl, we're very sorry, you're born a girl. You're going to learn how to clean the house. You're going to learn how to cook because you're going to get married. So you better know all these other life skills. So education is very low on the, on the priority list of what we're going to do for the girl child. Um, so I started these Sunday schools in all these underprivileged areas uh, so that the girl child basically and then all the children would uh, get uh, some sort of education. Because also in churches, um, in these areas, if people are praying, they usually would kick the children out of the church and say, you're making too much noise or you are just crying or you're just take these children out. And so kids would automatically be out on the street while service, major service is going on inside uh, the sanctuary. And so I wanted to do something because I felt, you know, when Jesus comes, he's not coming for adults only. He's not coming for 20 and above or 15 and above or whatever. He's coming for all. It doesn't matter what our age is, where we come from, where we live, that we all need the gospel message. And so that was my heartbeat. I did that for a long time. I trained many Sunday school teachers in all these different areas so that if I wasn't able to go, um, they could do it. And then at the same time, we had so much unrest and upheaval. Uh, Meg, you're keeping me on time, right? So, okay, so uh, there would be strikes and streets would be blocked off. It, and so I would tell my dad, you know, if, we, if I can go to work in the morning, then I have no excuse to not go um, and teach a Bible study. Because that's something my parents modeled. If the streets are closed, we're going to walk 40 minutes and we're going to go to church. There is no reason why we cannot go to church. We're going to go to church. So we would walk, whatever it is, the roads are closed. We knew all the side streets. We would take all of those and we would go to church as young kids. So, you know, when you grow older and that's been modeled for you that yes, no matter what, if we have legs and we can go, we're going to go. And so as an adult, when the streets were blocked and there were riots or, you know, there were tires being burned on the streets and couldn't go. And I would tell my dad, well, if I went to work in the morning, then I'm gonna go. So we would go. And of course, as a single girl, it's not acceptable and not proper for a single girl to travel by themselves. So my dad would accompany me. And then my sister and I would also tag team and do Sunday schools in many of these areas. And then some of the young people also that were in my youth class would go with me. And uh, they were also very faithful in trying to contribute uh, towards teaching others. So that's something that was an ongoing process. So coming here was because there's no books. And I know Meg wanted me to touch on a little bit of this transition. So no books, no nothing. Um, 
over in Pakistan for anybody who is desiring to know about God or any theological books, anything like that. It's a, it's a, it's like a famine, a drought of this type of material. But you know, um, so I always wanted to study. I had a great passion to study the Word of God. But when you look on the internet, you're not sure what is meat and what are bones and what is fat and what is, and you don't have the tools. Uh, to even navigate all of that. So um, it was a hard time, but God was really helping me. And um, we would see, you know, like I said, all these miracles and, and um, up to one point, I even had about a thousand Sunday school kids. So yeah, people would always ask me, so how, how do you make all these copies and where does the money come from? I'd say it comes from God's pocket. <laughs> into my pocket because I would pray, uh, family would contribute. And of course I was bivocational, so that kind of helped. But coming here, I, I actually prayed and I was looking at schools and I had gone to convent school all my life. And so I was used to seeing certain type of buildings and things like that. So I looked at all the Bible colleges and I had been praying about it, never really decided that it was something that I was, you know, okay, today I'm going to pack my bags, today I'm going to apply for this visa, you know, it wasn't something. So it just kind of, God opened these doors because I applied right after 9-11 and I was one of the few people who was granted a visa. And so I, I knew without a shadow of doubt that God is involved in my journey and in my story. When I got here, I was by myself. I didn't have to St. Louis. I didn't have any family I didn't have anybody. I remember coming here and thinking, wow, I've come from absolute 1,000 people, um, everybody coming to our house day and night to uh, quietness. But I found good friends. And if I hadn't had those friends um, who I met in graduate school, I think my journey would have been very extremely hard. But they were like angels and rocks for me um, and they probably don't even know it, like people like Meg, who I couldn't have made it to Hebrew class without Meg. Uh, she was my ride, you know. Um, so without people like that, if God hadn't, I am a firm believer that if God's called us to a journey, God will send us people, uh, ministering spirits to take us on that journey so we can get to where he's called us to be. So, um, yeah, coming here, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have, you know, the luxuries like everybody else had microwaves and things. So I'm just going to share this small story because I was like, oh, this is a microwave. And so I was trying different things in the microwave. And um, I, I put in a little bit of wax. I'm going to tell you what that is. I put in a little bit of wax. It's a girl story. And I was like, I don't know how, how long it's going to take to turn hot. So I just turned the knob. Well, when I took it out, it blew up and it fell all over my arm, all over my legs, all on my feet. And I had like second degree burns. So said everybody on the floor. And it was six o'clock in the morning. Of course, as you know, in Bible school, people don't get up at five or six in the morning, except if your name is Vanessa. And so I was up and I was burnt. And so I put my hand up and I said, Lord, I am so sorry. I will never do stupid things again when I'm here because I know you brought me here. I started praying and I remembered somewhere reading that if you put toothpaste on it, you know, it's going to cool down. And so I tried all these things and I said, God, 
I, I'm so, so sorry. Can you help me? And to, to this day, you know, I don't have any scars from this, not one. And there was a, and yeah, it's, there are so many miracles that I cannot even tell you. Like I had literally at one point, no money. And I said, Lord, if you're in Bible school, everybody generally has no money. I said, Lord, wouldn't it be nice if I could have some chips? It would be so nice. I'm an addict. I love chips. So I said, oh, it's so nice if I could just have chips. I opened the door in the morning when I woke up and there was a bag of chips. Somebody had left me a bag of chips. So the journey has been crazy, but God is in the journey. And today I serve, you know, as uh, a chaplain and I get to walk with people whose journey is crazy and it's filled with suffering. But I feel that if I hadn't gone through different types of suffering and different types of um, things happening in my own life, I wouldn't have been exposed to what different things look like. Getting to see people who have literally in my Sunday school, somebody stole a little girl's shoes. You know, they're so poor in those areas somebody stole the shoes and the mom came and she was beating the girl and was like, you don't look after things. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I wish I had a pair of shoes. I would have given it to her. My dad was like, here, how much do the shoes cost? You know, let, let us pay for these shoes. But that's kind of what ministry does in different areas and different, we're here in the US. It's a beautiful, beautiful country with lots of freedoms, which we should not take lightly because there's so many all around the world who don't have these freedoms today. And so here we are sitting in the US of A and that's me and uh, God does amazing things. How am I doing on time, Meg? You're doing, oh, am I unmuted? There we go, I didn't know if I unmuted myself. Um, doing great. I was gonna ask you, is, did you, what is that behind you or does it have nothing to do with Tonight, yes. is, that, is, is that a board you had up intentionally? Yes, I did. Thank you for asking. So um, it kind of, my life story, I usually hinge it by worse verses that God has given me. And so the first verse is, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I actually made this board when I uh, was ordained in honor of my parents, oh. because they're both passed. And I wanted to do something to kind of bring them into the, to the ceremony because they were not here. So the first one is, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And then I have different pictures on there that show my journey. And I have some peeps from UGST down in one section. You probably can't see it from there, but it has, no. like, it has people like, you know, Fiona, Amanda. Yes. Maybe you in there somewhere. I don't know. But there's a whole bunch of people that who I consider friends. Um, just, just a few pictures. If I had to put all, they probably won't fit on that board. So yeah. <laughs> and then the second one is based on calling. So it has all the Sunday school pictures of all the different Sunday schools that I did uh, over my lifetime in Pakistan and the Bible studies I would teach. So I would do at least sometimes two Sunday schools a day and then teach a Bible study. So I was doing at least about nine Sunday schools plus Bible studies. And then it says, the second verse is, and as he passed by, he saw Vanessa, 
sitting on a bench in the church and he said, follow me. And she rose and followed him. Oh. So that's my verse for calling because I was always sitting on a bench at church or cleaning the benches at church or sweeping the church <laughs> or doing something at church from a very young age because my mother always said, if I'm, I'm cleaning, so you come on, y'all are all cleaning. So we would all be cleaning. Uh, so that's my second verse. And then the third verse kind of God gave me when I was coming here. Um, go ye therefore into all nations, you know, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of age. And that's something that I would pray always. And I would tell God when I would come through a hard time, when I was here, uh, especially when I had transitioned, I would say, well, you gave me that verse and you said, I'm going to be with you always. So now what are you <laughs> going to do? Are you going to answer my prayer? Are you going to help me out? So that was my go-to verse that God actually gave me on the day I left uh, and gone on a plane. And that was the verse that gave me assurance that he is going to be with me no matter what comes my way, because I was like an Abraham going to places unknown, yes. uh, not knowing anybody, not knowing who I was going to meet, not knowing what this journey was going to look like. Um, I only had plans to come for one year. I wasn't planning on staying. I had a great job and people at my workplace, they were like, yes, when you come back, you have a job. And they actually did call me back and say, we have kept this job for you. Are you coming? And I was like, well, I started something, so I'm going to finish it. And so I decided to finish that second year at Gateway. Only went for two years because I already had a bachelor's. Um, and UGSD got permission to take international students as soon as I finished. Oh, my so I was the first international student at UGSD. So it actually just worked out. Um, and that was a God thing as well. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, of course it was. Um, I was thinking, listening to while you were talking, that we've been this week and next week talking about faith uh, in our nightly uh, messages and uh, specifically faith in action, those two things together, what that looks like, what that means. And so while you were talking, even your little chip story and even just praying for your, your burn, you know, and um, I just thought, well, goodness, we, that, that just goes hand in hand. Your tonight didn't have to go hand in hand with our uh, mm -hmm. lessons this week, but it certainly does taking, you know, and then bigger things like taking the leap of faith coming out here uh, on your own because you remind me you I know you have one sister mm -hmm. how many sisters do you have I have one younger sister who is actually going to UGSD right oh, now okay yes all right that's what I thought so yeah leaving just like you said like Abraham leaving yeah everything behind going to an unknown land just following just following God yeah and making the way um Vanessa I'm going to jump in here. Yes, go ahead. Disembodied voice Desi. So, I'm going to jump in for just a second and I know a little bit of your story and it's an amazing story. So, thank you for sharing up to that point. Can you share a little bit about what you do now in ministry and your work as a hospital chaplain? Yes. So, I um do work as a chaplain in two different hospitals. Uh, one is a trauma one level hospital here in St. Louis, where 
Um, you just by its name, Trauma One, you can imagine. Uh, you get to see a lot of different things coming through the door. I serve as a triage chaplain. So that is actually a little bit different because um, we work shifts where you get to triage, you know, where you're going to go, what you respond to. Uh, so a lot of Trauma One level things like gunshots, um, you know, stabbings, severe accidents and the hospital caters to not just people in the city of St. Louis, but from the surrounding area. So people can come even from Illinois by a helicopter. So um, as a chaplain, uh, you get to be in what I would consider sacred spaces when people are at their most, most when they are most vulnerable uh, when they're having a crisis of faith, when they're asking, where is God? Uh, when there are faith issues or no faith issues, when they're desperate, and especially during a pandemic, when no family can come in, um, it, it falls on the chaplain to figure out um, very quickly, uh, you have to have uh, acute listening skills, ability to figure out family dynamics, ability to understand where the cry is coming from, what is going on, um, inability to walk with this person, not tell them how to think, not tell them how to feel, not tell them uh, that they're, they're, it's wrong to feel like this, or it's being able to walk with that person, like the Good Samaritan, being able to get down, willing to get down in the dirt, in the muck, in the mire and say, I am sorry that you are going through this. Can I sit by you? Can I hold your hand? Can, can you, do you want to talk about it? Um, you know, so just kind of helping people process feelings, process emotions, or just sit with them in that emotion. Uh, it's, it, these are, to me, sacred spaces because God is at work. He's at work before we can get there. He's at work when we get there and he'll be at work when we leave. Because God is in all our stories and he, he doesn't leave us. You know, it doesn't matter if how much we believe in him or how little we believe in him or if we don't believe in him at all. He's created all of us in his image. At least that's my theology, that we're all made in the image and likeness of God. And because we image him, uh, he gives us that opportunity to our last dying breath to accept him. And if we, I feel sometimes we can't verbalize it because we have tubes down or we're, you know, got all of that. We can still cry out to God from the inside of our being. At least that's how I feel um, because we're still conscious or maybe we have some connection. I don't know how the human body works and how the spirit works, you know, and how the soul works. And again, the soul cry out to God. I believe it can because um, sometimes when we're sleeping, we get all these dreams, you know, so who knows? Um, but yeah, it's, it's very sacred to me. It's a sacred journey. Um, and I don't take it lightly at all. So I'm very grateful for this opportunity and this training. I absolutely love it. I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. But, <laughs> but I absolutely uh, love it. Of course, it's not for everybody. But if it's something that anybody wants to do, that is, it's just very humbling to walk with family members, walk with the patient, and sometimes even staff, um, because staff also go through, they also have issues that they have to leave at home or experience things 
um, when they're at the hospital because people tell them off all the time. They're trying to offer care and you know things like that happen. So it's just being there for everybody and trying to serve everybody the best we possibly can as a chaplain. I don't know if that kind of explains it. Yes. I'm fucking on mute, sorry about that. All right, Newark. So we, I appreciate Vanessa for being on with us and we are coming into our question time. I was trying to write that into the chat feature. So for all of you who have these burning questions, you've heard just, I mean, you're just like touching the mountain peaks here with this story, but even just a little bit that we've heard already, if you have questions or comments or things you would like to go ahead and engage with Vanessa and Meg with, go ahead and submit those now in our chat feature. If you're on YouTube or Facebook, you can submit questions by just simply preceding your comments with the word question. So Vanessa, as we're getting started, we had a question come in already that said, how did you decide to stay in the United States? Um, I think I went to Gateway for two years. And then after that, um, you know, the admissions person would, when I was in Gateway, the second year would say, here's a form, you might think about this. And I would be like, hmm, I don't think so. I, I only came for one year, hooray, I'm gonna go back. I have a life, I had a great job, you know, and that's what I <laughs> told myself. Uh, that's what I want to do. But I, I already kind of knew when I stepped on that plane that uh, I may not be coming back. I don't know. I think it was a God, God thing. But I was all the time fighting that I have to go back. You know, I was like, no, I'm only coming for one year. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Great job. Thank you, Jesus. But um I decided to stay as I was getting my education. I started getting involved so much. And then it just, I don't know, it just kind of continued. So I didn't think about it actually. I just felt that it was the Lord and um, I did not get anything from the Lord about going back. So it was just something that I felt that I had to continue to stay. I was so involved in the church here and ministering here and things like that. It just, life evolved, I guess. And I, I prayed about it because I first wanted to go back, but then that was not what I heard from God. So I just kind of stayed. I don't know if that, if you were expecting a dramatic response, but that's it. <laughs> no, the I appreciate response. an honest response because I think that happens with many of us in different ways in our walk with God. We <laughs> We're excited to share stories and we want to hear people talk about the clouds parting and, you know, this lightning striking this tree you were praying under, or, you know, God's voice booms from the head. And, and sometimes yeah. it's little steps, isn't it? Yeah. Our paths. Yes. It's the fighting over the little steps. Those are usually harder to, to wrestle with, aren't they? Oh, God yeah, absolutely. To do or not to do something this weekend versus move across the world. Exactly. <laughs> Well, we have several, I'm just reading through the comments and I see a few names on here that I'm assuming have connections with you, Vanessa, like an Elizabeth Dawn and our Rachel Nickerson and some other people. So Elizabeth asked the question, and I'm wondering if this is a loaded question. She said, who picked you up from the airport when you arrived in St. Louis? And can yes. you explain the significance of a handkerchief? 
<laughs> so, I'm suspecting that these are loaded questions. These but. are loaded questions. And this Elizabeth Dawn, I will do the great reveal, is Fiona. <laughs> so <laughs> Meg is shaking her head. So, uh, so yes. So while Fiona likes to think that she did pick, up, pick me up from the airport, she is very much mistaken. She picked up Kiran, the other Pakistani student that came to UGST. Thank you, Fiona. And um, oh, that Amber, is too funny. The yeah. other notice that little that little slight dig there, right? No, not me. The other Pakistani. Yeah, Fiona, how'd you get that mixed up? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the handkerchief story is actually because it's very cultural in certain parts of, and especially the areas that I ministered in, they believed in the head covering. So it was just normal if you were going into, if you're going into another culture uh, to minister, and that was me, I was going from a very, uh, my family is more European culture uh, because we're part Portuguese, that's what our ancestors were, blah, 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 whatever. So we didn't, you know, follow, we have different cultural practices because we have more of a European flavor. But some of these other cultural groups, especially the ones that I went to minister to, they, they believed in the head covering. And it's actually translated in the Urdu Bible just like that, that you women are required to cover their hair or have a covering. So I would take a scarf wherever I went. So I think she's referring to the story that I shared with her where the one time I was in a leadership meeting and I forgot the scarf and somebody passed me their handkerchief. <laughs> so, oh. so yes, so that I could use that uh, to say face or, um, or they were trying to help me out. I'm not sure, but that's the story behind the handkerchief. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that publicly. <laughs> yes. Scott, a man in our church, he asked, how do you feel life would be different in your home country now if you were to go back with all of the knowledge and training you've received after being in the United States so long? It's hard to tell uh, what life would be like uh, because I would have to live in somebody else's shoes. Uh, if I would go back now, you have to remember political climate is completely different than when I was there before because it's a very persecuted place. I would literally have to start back with other things. Like I would have to start from scratch. Um, I have no family there now. Um, most of my relatives immigrated in the 60s to start and started immigrating a long time ago to different places. Um, I have very few cousins there, but and I have a brother there. But other than that, I have no family there. So I would literally have to start from scratch, which I'm not opposed to. And I could probably do it if, if I had a clear call from God to do that. Um, but most people speak Urdu. And so I, whatever I have learned is in English. Like I don't even read the Bible in Urdu. And if I was to teach um, doctrine or things like that, I would have to be very well versed in the Urdu Bible in order to be able to make a statement because the Urdu Bible is a translation. 
I think maybe possibly of the King James or of another version. So um, things don't translate that easy in language. So I would have to start basically back from basics. I don't know if that, that answers it, but that's kind of, and if I had to do Christian community, it probably would work, but um, I don't know. It's something that we can ask God what it would look like, but I, I don't know. Well, let's go back then. Thank you for sharing that. But let's sure. go back then and let's talk about when you were young. We had one of our young ladies in our church ask, what was it like teaching a Sunday school class when you yourself were still a young person? Oh, it was very much fun. It was very exciting. Um, yeah, you. We, I, I learned through trial and error. I made well, a walk lot us of through an example. What does... What did Sunday school mean when you said you, you did lots of Sunday school? Can you give us just a high? Oh. What, what were you doing? Okay, so when I was teaching Sunday school, it it's uh, basically kids church. But everybody who is whatever age is all in one big major classroom. So you're teaching anybody from two years old all the way down to 13 all in one big classroom. So you could have a hundred very easily sitting there all together. Um, and that's why you try to use the older girls and boys to kind of help you with crowd control. Anybody who's taught Sunday school knows oh, if you have two God. years old to 14, anything is possible. So uh, yeah, we, I, I did a lot of those in different areas of the city and you have to be very creative, use different voices, um, know how to keep the attention. Um, you know, you can't do a lot of things, but they would wait for that story. And we wouldn't have arts and crafts there. Um, but, you know, you'd give them arts and crafts to take home with them. So my mom used to prepare all of that. And then I would just take those maybe coloring pages or things like that to give every child to take home with them. Well, it kind of sounds like junior church back in the day, you know, growing up in, in our church environment, the junior church was kind of a conglomerate, but it wasn't every Sunday. <laughs> so that's, an, if, especially if you had a hundred, yeah. you it know, was from being found. Wow. Yeah. It was very easy to have a hundred, 150, small group would be 70, but it was small very- Small group would be 70 people. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. It was fun. It was well, great. Kids were always hungry to learn about God. And I, I'd have to go knock the doors and, and say, don't forget, you know, before even starting, I'd have to go around and knock the doors um, and say, don't forget to send the kids to Sunday school. And some of the moms would say, no, we're not sending them because, you know, they today they have to wash the laundry or and so I would have to like kind of say, well, can they wash the laundry at six o'clock if you send them now at four? Um, no, they have to cook, whatever. So, you know, you have to kind of uh, build that relationship with parents, things like that. So. And most of them were walking. Yeah, it's in the neighborhood. So mm -hmm. it, they're like, uh, it's hard to describe because they're like slum areas and uh, they're highly populated. Everybody's house is so close to each other. Um, some of the churches are, um, they just 
they just gave us an opportunity. So in one place, <clears throat> the Catholic church let me use there. They had a big hall and um, the priest met with me and he said, I've tried, we've tried in this church to have Sunday school. Go on you if you can do something. We've tried for years, nobody shows up. And so we use the Catholic church and 150 would show up every week. Wow. And then, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it is. Another place they said, um, sister, you, we have a school, you can use the school. So that's where that happened. So I used two schools. So it was like more like asking the community to, to let me use spaces. So that's how I developed this relationship with different community members. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's it was the Lord. It was not something that I could have thought of on my own being so young, um, trying to do this. And the one time, like we would have 2000 uh, come to watch the kids doing different things, you know? So my goodness. yeah, my sister and I, we would write the Christmas script and um, organize all of that. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was great. Sounds very busy and like a lot of- Yes, that too. too. We had another family in our church ask, are you willing to share an encouraging or memorable story uh, from your time as a chaplain, something that sticks out to you? I don't know if I can share um, a story necessarily. Uh, we're, we're supposed to keep things um, confidential. Laws and things in place, fair enough. And this is social media, so I'm not, I, I'm, I don't want to get in trouble. Fair so enough. I apologize. No, it's That's quite all right. Okay. You are welcome to not answer any question. I'm just the one throwing them out there for you. Okay. Let me ask you a different chaplaincy question that I'm Wow, people are very interested in this chaplaincy business. <laughs> it's the best. Yes, it is. Do you think one of the most important qualities in being a chaplain is your ability to empathize with people? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Without any doubt. Um, you, yeah, you have to empathize, but um, you have to know how to empathize. You just can't, you know, you can't just uh, say things that are not genuine. People are not dumb or stupid they can feel the spirit of what you're saying and sometimes it's better not if you don't know what to say better not to say it you don't have to just because there's silence doesn't mean you have to fill the silence with with words you know some silence is all there's all, a there's a life lesson right there huh sometimes it's okay to be silent uh-huh absolutely yeah it's also one of the tools that chaplains use because it just silence is, is good. Sometimes God does work in, we have to shut up to let God speak. Would you please repeat that? <laughs> Are you real? For, for real, you want me to say that again? <laughs> oh, yes. It's a wonderful lesson. Probably all of us need to be reminded. Sometimes we have oh. to, what, Vanessa? We have to shut up to let God speak. Yes. Absolutely. Yes and amen. Thank you for repeating it. And chaplaincy is a, oh, I'm sorry, Desi. Um, I was just going to throw in there. Chaplaincy is uh, a ministry of presence. Yeah. You know? And that's the, 
yes, Vanessa knows, and I, Arash and I have a little uh, mm -hmm. training as well. We did one unit together uh, before we were married in um, the St. Louis area, but Ministry of Presence also speaks to that fact that it's not necessarily all words, but presence is a powerful thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Next question. Okay. <laughs> so my daughter, she must be, her mom must be helping her because Vanessa, my daughter's eight. And so she asked. Wow, has she really turned eight? Oh, yes. You remember her when she was one. What does that tell you? Oh, my word. Yep. Yep. Who has been, so my daughter Dinah asked, who has been your most faithful companion other than Jesus in this world? Oh, I think family. Family and friends. And not, and you can't, and for Dinah, because she's really, she's at a good age where you have to really think about who to call a friend. You just can't, there are some people in life who are acquaintances, but some people get the honor that for you to call them friend and for them to call you friend. So like today I can say Meg is a friend, you know, uh, Fiona is a friend. Marjorie is a friend. These are friends. Friends can even become family. And so the word friend is not to be used nilly willy because uh, even the Bible says friends also stick close. So yeah, Some good advice. family and friends. So friendships are important, but they need to be cultivated and treasured. Correct. Mm. Absolutely. Sister Becky in our church would like to know, have you ever written any of this down? Have you ever written about your life? Do you have a book, a paper, anything? <laughs> you have an amazing story, Vanessa. Well, I've been told uh, and asked that question several times, including by one very good learned professor. Um, so it's something that I have been thinking about. Um, but no, I have not written one as yet but it may come into play sometime soon i guess because many people ask so oh please do. yes well i am certain it would be an engaging and fascinating read if you decided to do that at some point so let me pile onto the voices vanessa you should write your story it's pretty incredible oh thanks desi the Allen family asks, what do you miss most about your home country and what's your favorite food from back home? Mm. Mm. So I've been gone so long. So sights and sounds have obviously changed. Um, if I were to miss some, anything, it would be some of the good friends that I have still uh, back in Pakistan. Um, and I miss my brother the most also, uh, without a shadow of doubt, I miss him the most. And street food, because in St. Louis, we do not have Pakistani street food. And if you come from a metropolis or a metropolitan city where there's street food every single corner, like there's stalls everywhere, and you smell the street food everywhere, wherever you go, I miss the street food, where food is concerned. So. Yeah, street food. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, uh, it's not the same. I'm not even going to pretend it's the same, but I, I miss all the taco trucks from when I lived in California for a long time. 
not quite the same as street food, but they're everywhere, you know, right. you know all these different vendors with these almost like little small mobile restaurants. And we have exactly. a few things like that around yeah. here, but not not like we did in California. They're everywhere in California, but I can maybe somewhat relate on a... Yeah, I think you can because if there's taco trucks everywhere and you're smelling it, mm, yes, oh, amen. Yeah. <laughs> yep, you end up with your favorite little corner you return to over yeah. and over again because they've got this one particular thing they make this special way that nobody else quite makes it that way. <laughs> that sort of deal. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Sister Regina Beardsley asks, do you still have contact with any of the people that you taught and ministered to when you were in Pakistan? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're still in contact. They still, you know, email. They're still friends in Facebook. A lot of my Sunday school students who were tiny, it's like, you know, you turn around like Dinah. She was one. Now she's eight. Now the, the the kids who I had in Sunday school are in their 30s and with their own oh, wow. children and families. And so I'm like, I don't know. I've turned really old. That was not the point of the question. <laughs> I'm, just teasing. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But you know what I mean? Like, yes, because I think if you invest and pour into people and they really know that you care, uh, they'll always they'll always be in connection with you because they become the, you're part of the family of Christ. It's not, you know, to be taken lightly either. Uh, just like I came here and then found a church family and, you know, family of Christ. So mm -hmm. like Rachel Nickerson is on there, you know, so I consider her a friend too. It's like a reunion on here. I'm seeing yeah, all the yes things. So. Mike Hall popped on. What? Sister Norris. We got oh, wow. we got everybody popping on here. My mom, of course, she's always on, but <laughs> lots of you lots should of feel you should feel special, Vanessa. I'm feeling very loved. Thank I, you. I, I'm thinking this is a loaded question too, but Rachel asks, who introduced you to the Windy City? Yes, that is Rachel. Uh, is this quiz time? Yes, that is Rachel. We went, and I remember it was her birthday. We went to Chicago. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> I'm just looking through the comments and kind of scrolling. Meg, you can as well. See if there's other things that stand out to you. Um, yes. Question, do you miss the church services as they were in Pakistan? Because we know church is cultural and it varies from yes. place to place. Are there times when you miss the way that people would gather and have church service back in Pakistan? Well, it depends. Uh, I think I've gotten used to air conditioning. Just kidding. <laughs> 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 so in Pakistan, all the different churches, you know, half the time there's no electricity. So you learn to have church in the heat. Uh, without an organ, without music, you hit the tambourine, you can play the drums and you keep rolling. And you sweat and you sing and you give God all. I've had church under the trees with the mosquitoes. Um, do I miss it? Life was simple. People are real. People love God no matter where they are. We sit on beautiful pews this side. Um, but there's still a spirit of God. So no matter where you are, I've, I've learned to appreciate that uh, God 
you can find God under a tree and you can have a great move of God. Like my mom and my aunt, they travel through those dusty uh, streets to find God in a small, in a small home. Uh, and you can find God. It, it's about where you connect with God. So to me, it doesn't matter. You can be living in a palace, but God, if you're hungry enough, God will meet you where you are. Amen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're, we're coming to the top of the hour and this will probably take us a minute or two over, but let's try to squeeze one more question in. You've talked so much about your life and your journey and coming here. And so this question came in that asked, what advice would you give to young people who are seeking to find God's plan for their life? Mm, Good one. I would say to young people to not be quick to dismiss mentors and voices of mentors. Because when we are young, we sometimes think we know it all and we've lived longer and uh, we don't sometimes value the voices of our own parents. Um, There is a pastor and a pastor's wife. There are youth ministers who carry a deep burden for young people's souls. There are people in the church who act like moms to some young people and don't, I would say to them, do not dismiss, if you can at all, these voices because they are voices of reason. When in our youth, we want to just live a wild life. Um, Not really, but you know what I mean? Like be a little bit rebellious or whatever. We all have our ways, but don't dismiss the advice given by good, godly uh, people of God from the family, the church family, from ministers who God has placed in our lives. They are there for a reason and God holds them accountable for our souls. So we should not dismiss what they have to say to us because they pray for us and fast for us. So that's what I would say to all young people out there. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you come on and spend time with us this evening, Vanessa. Thank you so much for giving us your time. But unfortunately, we are now at the top of the hour, which means that this broadcast is coming to an end. And so to our Newark family, thank you once again for joining us with Friday Nights with Friends. To all of Vanessa's friends who are extra guests and joined in with us tonight, hello and thank you for joining us as well. If you're a member of our church or perhaps you're joining for the first time and you don't have a church family, come check us out on newarkupc.info on our church website. You can find more information about our church. You can find information about uh, if you want to submit a prayer request, a baptism request for our church family. You can partner with us in giving. You can find out information about our small groups. We have small groups that meet every week online in a Zoom style format similar to this mm-hmm. while we're in this COVID-19 situation out here. And so again, that website is newarkupc.info. To our church family, just a quick reminder, tomorrow is the last day to submit your sock puppet. So Vanessa, you don't know this, but for the last two weeks, we've been having a sock puppet contest and voting begins (laughs) on Sunday. So for all of you crafters out there in our church, you've got to get your puppet entries in by tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. So that way we can get ready to let the voting. We're very serious about our sock puppets, Vanessa. So we got to make sure that we get everything turned in on time for our contest next week. Other than that, we thank you once again for joining us. We broadcast six nights a week at 7 p.m. Eastern.
We take Mondays off as our Sabbath day, but Tuesday through Sunday, we broadcast six nights a week at 7 p.m. Eastern, and you can find us at newarkupc.info. And with that note, we wish you all a pleasant evening. Thank you for joining us once again. Thank God you. bless you. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank and you. Have a good night.